Welcome back to another episode of Season 5 of the RAG Podcast. As you guys know by now, this is the number one podcast across the recruitment sector globally. And we've always been on a mission to help recruitment agencies grow by interviewing founders and telling their stories of success from startup all the way to scale up and exit. Well, this season we're a little bit different. We're not only going to do that, but we're going to focus on a little bit more. Since the pandemic began, we know so many people have struggled with maintaining their habits of, of success in work, but also everything else outside of work with it. You know, how do you as a recruitment leader and founder maintain your family and friendships whilst being the best person at work? How do you stay physically fit mentally and emotionally? And how? Do you find time for yourself in the madness? How do you find time for self-interest, for hobbies and self-improvement? Well, to help you with this, I'm going to be interviewing someone every single week that can demonstrate experience in one or more of these areas. So I'm going to talk to recruitment founders and also some experts from outside the industry who can deep dive into things like relationships and health and well-being. That's every single week. You have an opportunity to learn from an expert or one of the most decorated successful recruitment founders on the planet. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy today's show. Okay, we're live. Welcome to another episode of the RAG podcast with me, Sean Anderson, the CEO and founder of Hoxhill Media. Um, we're live on LinkedIn. Today, I am so excited to be joined by David Spencer Percival. Um, I'm going to get into David's story in just a moment, but this is one that I've been uh, super, not just excited, just just wanted to, I wanted to know his story myself, never mind, really re release it to the masses. Um, before I do, today I want to just quickly mention and thank our sponsors for today's episode, starting with Volcanic. Um, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, this these guys were, um, you know, it's a real achievement for a business like Volcanic to get on board with the RAG podcast. Um, the reason being that they are, without a doubt, the UK's and, and the world's number one provider of websites to the recruitment industry. Over 1,800 websites in the UK, globally and 30% of the top UK 100 recruitment businesses choose to partner with them. Um, as a partnership with The RAG, they have decided to give anyone listening a visual, uh, what they call an MOT, which going into the end of the year, moving into 2022 with your website, a lot of recruitment businesses, small, medium, large, you know, you really need to get your website working for you. You need it to be somewhere that converts candidates and clients. And Volcanic are the best in class for this. They're going to give you a free MOT, which is a personalized service to have a look at the candidate effectiveness, the, the way in which you convert clients, any brand building capabilities and more to do with your website. Um, in order to get this free, uh, free opportunity, please go to www.volcanic.com forward slash hoxo. Okay, um, and the link will be in the chat and the comments on this session also. Um, finally, District 4 are a partner that have been with us since season four of the podcast, and um, I'm super excited to to continually work with them. Super, District 4, I, I don't think I explained them correctly a couple of weeks ago, right? Just to put it into context, these guys, just they support experienced recruiters to launch their own business. They've got this impressive startup package, and they take care of the back office, middle office, technology that allows you to focus on what you do best which is billing they do the rest but the best bit is they it's a community 
of other business owners all in one place. So as a community, you get to support each other professionally to hit your goals. And everyone in there is, is best in class, top, top performers. They're offering anyone who's thinking of starting a recruitment business, they're doing a five-day challenge starting on the 8th of November called So You Want to Start Your Own Recruitment Business. Over five days, they're going to help you work out your why, your vision, your financials, your market, and they'll give you an opportunity to put together a business plan. By the end of it, you will know if you're the right person to start a recruitment business. And in looking at the market right now, and I'll be honest, at the start of 2021, I thought, why would you start a recruitment company in, in a pandemic? But the people who I know did it are flying. And we, you know, we might even be talking to one of them on today's session about growth in, in this current market. So if you, if you genuinely think you might have what it takes to launch a business in 2022, get in touch with these guys. The link is too long for me to say. It will be in the chat, both on the live session. And if you read the comments on the podcast that you're listening to, you'll see the link in there. Get in there and go meet. Okay, so let's get into today's session. David Spencer Percival, welcome to the RAG podcast. Hi, Sean. How are you doing? I'm all right. Do it. I'm not going to full name you all the time, but I don't feel like it. <laughs> you, wrote, you signed off an email, I think, DSP. Is that what you think? People know you as DSP. They do, yeah, for many, many years, yeah. yeah. It's that. just a lot easier. <laughs> do you want me to call you Dave or DSP? What do you prefer? DSP's cool. <laughs> it's just DSP, what I'm used to. Right. Love it. Acronym. <laughs> feel like a teacher again. Um, well, DSP, look, welcome to the show. Obviously, um, thank you. your name, I, I mentioned the first time I came across you was I read about you in a, in, a, in a, I don't know if it was like a City AM or something, back in 2014, 15, when I worked in recruitment. And I remember uh, everyone had heard of Spencer Ogden, but, you know, to hear about you with you know David Spencer Percival the founder was an incredible story at the time and you've gone on to do lots and lots of things so would you do us a favor then just give us the kind of overview condensed version <laughs> yeah, the over i mean like the 30 second elevator pitch of your career yeah, yeah, we're going sure. to dive into it okay so uh started in recruitment quite a long time ago as a, a resourcer then a biller in contracts um met a guy in a car park when I set up Huntress, I mean, we took Huntress to 500 people, nine, 97 million turnover. Um, then left, uh, we sold it, sold it to Japanese bank, Nomura, uh, just before wow. the uh, financial crash, literally three months before the crash. Uh, wow. did, did an earn out for about 18 months. And then, yeah, set up Spencer Ogden with Sir Peter Ogden. Again, took that from zero to 500 staff. I think it's 130 million turnover now across uh 15 or 16 offices across uh, three continents um left there to set up a water company which was quite amusing uh and very very challenging um i think i just wanted to do something a bit different hmm. and yeah and now i'm back I, I decided that uh life sciences was really a, a an area in recruitment that i've always wanted to do but never got around to um and i felt it was a a, a fantastic uh, area so yeah set up life science people uh, almost exactly a year ago we're, we're a year old now uh and yeah it's going phenomenally well so you know pricey version that's my my life in the last 25 years love it so um life science people right now you said yep. pre-show what you 65 headcount in a year or so yeah we're at 65 now um we are hoping to be 100 by q1 um i think uh we're, we're opening up in los angeles we're opening up in boston we're opening up in Switzerland and Germany, so we've got big plans. I think we'll probably get to six, seven hundred recruiters in life science. There doesn't seem to be a life science recruitment company that specialises on it. There are a few, but they, they, they're quite—they've uh, been around a while. There's been no new entries to that market. 
uh, for quite a while. There's a lot of add-ons, you know, people say, oh, we should do a bit of life sciences, you know, some of the bigger recruitment companies, but we want to be the life science recruitment company, the new one, the fresh one that's come out. So yeah, same model. We, we were hiring bright young people to come and um, work under experienced management and build out and yeah it's a fantastic market i love it it's really really cool really really interesting wow all right well let let's go backwards then i'm not gonna you know there's too much in there to go into everything so you said you were you met a guy in a car park yeah and you, and you founded huntress yeah so you, you who's the guy in the car park and tell us <laughs> more about that car park well, why, why were you there <laughs> well I, I was sort of I had an Aston Martin, which my uh, chairman of my recruitment company gave me. I was billing a, a million pounds a year on contract a long time ago, and it was a huge amount of money. I was a you know fantastical amounts of commission. And I thought I was a bit of a rock star. And so I was in this car park, and this guy walks up to me, and he went, wow, what fantastic car, you know, brand new Aston Martin. He said, you must be a, a city trader or something. And I said, oh, no, I work in recruitment. And he was sort of like, oh, okay, you must be quite good. I'm 26 years old. I'm like, good, I'm the best. You know, I'm fantastic. He said, okay, well, let's see what, how good you are, how entrepreneurial you are. So I had lunch with him. Um, Gary Lawrence was his name. And, and, and Gary was a phenomenal operator, had sold his recruitment company, setting up Huntress. So he, he was all already in recruitment as well then? Yeah, he'd sold a business. Yeah. Um, he's, um, Gary's probably 10 years, 15 years older than me. Right. Um, and he was, you know, in top of his game. And he, we set up Huntress. I remember going back to my wife saying, uh, the car's got to go. The apartment's going. I'm going to go and sort of, you know, have a, a quarter of my salary. But I've got loads of shares in this new startup. <laughs> and she was like, mm, okay. <laughs> that sounds interesting. Um, but I think that's the first time I really felt like an entrepreneur. You know, I went into a business, part owns that business, small bit, tiny bit. I was a bit yeah. naive at the time. Um, and, you know, that business then became this huge recruitment company, predominantly in the UK. I mean, we had 27 offices all in the UK, 4,000 temps running. You know, it was a, it was a big, big business. And, and then... And it's not like know, just two of you did it. No, uh, it was myself, Gary, and, and two girls who were the directors of Office Angels. So we did commercial right. recruitment and we did IT, which was what I did. Um, and they were fierce, alpha female. Jane and Julia, I love them. I learned a lot from them. Um, and we we built this business. And, you know, Gary had a tiger by the tail with us. I mean, we were so ambitious. We were private equity owned. They were uh, bemused at the growth. And we won an awful lot of awards. You know, Sunday Times Fast Track, best companies to work for. We were flying. And by the time we came to sell it, you know, we were doing a, a fantastic job at 8 million EBIT. And a Japanese bank private equity arm of japanese bank came out of nowhere and bought it um and then the financial crash happened which was a bit unfortunate for them we tried to buy it back but they wouldn't they wouldn't sell it back to us so yeah it was quite a journey i was exhausted by the end of it though seven years of absolutely i mean breakneck speed growth what what's the secret to that what was your secret do you think um what was the secret well it was a secret i applied to the next one really which was building a business quickly you need a few things. First of all, you need the market behind you. You need good funding. You know, you know you, growing companies eat money. You never quite get to the point where you're making enough money unless you stop growing. Um, and you need just an enormous amount of energy and focus. Uh, and you just don't stop. I mean, a lot of recruitment companies stop at certain levels, you know, get to 30 people and kind of like, oh, this is a bit worrying. Get to 50, get to 100, get to 200. You just keep going. <laughs> we just don't stop um and the only way to grow companies quickly in recruitment is through graduate academies 
and bringing on young people and training them and, and getting them to be recruiters because you can't hire experienced people at that rate. It's impossible. Yeah, yeah. So that how many model, people were you? How many people were you bringing in at a time at Hundreds on the Grad Academy stuff? It's interesting. I was talking to to somebody about this the other day. So I, I remember less so Huntress, because it's quite a long time ago now, but Spencer Ogden particularly is a good example. So we were hiring 15 new people every quarter at the beginning, which is exactly what I've been doing here at Life Science People. 15 people a quarter for the first year. Um, The second year, you hire 15 people every two months. Third year, you hire 15 people every month. But by the time I left Spencer Ogden, we were hiring 15 people a week. Um, Somewhere around the world, there was an academy, a group of trainers, a group of managers. I mean, we had 45 team leaders and managers coming through and emerging, which we're putting people under. Yeah, it's a whole machine and it it's terrifying and it's hard work, but you, you know, it's, it, you apply this kind of spinning wheel and it, it just gets bigger and bigger. Um, and that's how you get to 500 people. You make it sound so simple. <laughs> why don't why, 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 simple I know. expensive maybe but simple no but that's the so, so what you the bit that you, you you mentioned there is so it eats away profit so it, would you expect yeah, to, yeah. It, would you expect to try and make any profit while scaling then or is it all about yeah, reinvesting you, decision, it yeah, you got a decision to make do you build a lifestyle recruitment company and start taking salary and dividends in which case you you have to stop or, or at least slow down the growth or do you say, I'm going to build a recruitment company with 500 people or 200 people or 1,000 people? In which case, most of the, you know, you've got working capital, but you don't have any investment capital. So you're, you're just eating. I mean, every academy we run is costing a quarter of a million pounds um, mm. cash. I mean, you can do some clever accounting and you can strip it out from your operating costs and say, this is investment, this is core business, which is what we did at Spencer Ogden, what we did successfully at Huntress. But ultimately, until you stop growing that quickly, you won't make enormous amounts of profits. The minute you stop or flatline, wow, you churn out some serious money because you've right. got firepower, you know. And, and that's what that's, that's what, what Spencer Ogden did. And that's what Hunter. That's did. what attracts, and that's what attracts the the, the people purchasing. Pri- right? Private equity are interesting. So trade will want you, but probably won't want to pay the money. Private equity love fast growing businesses, and they can see they're clever enough to see that. At some point, you will churn out enormous amounts of profit because you're building this, you know, incredibly fast machine. Um, and it, exactly, so Huntress, when we stopped growing, we, we did 8 million EBIT. Spencer Ogden, when it stopped growing, 9 million run rate going to 12. You know, you, you do, but you, it's hard to generate profits on the way up because you're, you're just, you're hiring a lot of people. You have, you know, you have attrition in recruitment. You know, you hire 10 salespeople, you hope seven or eight work out, got mm. a bit five work out, you know. And so you're always trying to get, and when you get to 200 people, you're trying to get above natural attrition. So it gets yeah. harder and harder and harder. You know, it's not an easy task. Um, it's absolutely relentless. Um, and now, of course, everybody's hiring. You know, you, in the pandemic, there were hundreds of thousands of graduates looking for jobs. Now, every company I know in the world is hiring people. So the war for talent is incredibly difficult. Yeah. On the flip side, recruitment is busy. I mean, it's frothy. I don't know anybody in recruitment who's not doing well at the minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We only know how good you are when the market starts to con- contract a little bit. Um, so we'll, we'll see who's good in a year's time. Uh, <laughs> but what, yeah. what I, mean, I mean, did you have that desire, this, this like un- unquenchable growth 
desire when you were that guy in the car park with the Aston Martin? Or was that what this other team um, you got involved with installed in you? I That's a good question, actually. I think I'm the sort of person, I'm quite an addictive personality, you know. Yeah. I Before I got into recruitment, you know, I, I went to clubs and partied a lot. And I loved that. And I was a kind of, you know, socialist. And then I kind of spun into this, oh, I think I'm going to be a capitalist now. So what do I need? I need money. So what's my influential thirst for would be money. So it began with, I want to earn as much money as possible. Because for me, I don't know any other job where you can go into it not having that much of a, not having qualifications. I left school at 16. I, I don't have a degree. Mm. Um, and you can earn as much as the prime minister relatively quickly. Yeah. And I felt, I found that thrilling, absolutely thrilling. Same. So for me, it was a case of, okay, let's, let's do this. I became successful at it. And I, it is genuinely life-changing. I mean, you can fight capitalism, but ultimately, unfortunately, generally speaking, the more money you have, the better your life is. I mean, that's just the world we live in. You can't fight it. So you might as well join it. So mm. for me, it was a case of, okay, let's see how I can build a business and do all the things that I wanted to do, which is, you know, buy nice houses and, and have a fantastic lifestyle and not worry about what I bought at a supermarket because how much it was. That's what drove me. In the end, that didn't drive me. Success drove me more than money. Oh, but driving yourself to be in a million pound bill. I mean, I've been there. I wasn't quite a million, but I wasn't far off, right? I'm the same 28 years old, 200 grand in yep. London. Yep. In life. I've been there. Yeah, but, then, but then there's a different mindset to go to scale to 500 staff. That's I think they're totally different worlds. One is very insular. It's all about you. It's yep. about your own income. One is yep. I'm building a legacy. I'm, I'm building a people engine. You know, and most of the guys that I know in the sector that were million pound billers are actually the owners of 10 man businesses that still yeah. control everything. And they have, you mm, know, mm. people around them, but they're very much the, the center of the show. As you, you must have had to be elevate <laughs> yourself really quick from any of the doing. And, you know, yeah, I, well, I, I love billing. I mean, I, I just loved it because, you, you know, you've got no responsibility. Um, managing's hard, managing yeah. people is hard, building businesses is challenging. You have to learn to delegate. I mean, you get to the point where you almost think, oh, nobody's as good as me, so I might as well do it myself. That's the wrong attitude in business. Yeah, That's yeah, why yeah. people have 10 people recruitment companies because they're looking at the bank account, they're looking at the HR and operations, they're looking at the staff, they're doing, they're doing everything. You can't do everything. It's impossible. You get to 50 people, you really don't know what's going on in your business. You can dive in and look at, you know, but ultimately you have to trust people to do the job, otherwise you'll never build it. So that change from being you know that person to the other person came with sitting in a board room with people and investors making you grow the business making you get outside your comfort zone and making you delegate and i think once you learn the trick like, oh okay it's you know pretty terrifying all these spinning plates everywhere particularly if you're growing fast and, and eating cash but once you've done it once it's a formula you know it's not you know, and you do build a legacy. Although I did joke with somebody the other day when we sold Huntress, I went back into reception. No one knew who I was. I sort of, um, I founded this business. Same thing as Spencer Ogden. You know, my name's still above the door, but I don't think anybody knows who I am. So then you have a reality that we're, it's great building a business, but when you sell it, I mean, you literally, it's gone. It's like you, you're throwing it out and, and you shouldn't look back because that legacy dissipates very quickly over time. So, yeah. you know, you have to be very clear. Why are you selling a business? You're selling it to get some capital for all the hard work you want. If you're just interested in lifestyle, having fun, income, don't sell a business. Yeah, yeah. Because once it's gone, it's gone. That's it. So talk, talk us through that. How did you feel the first time you exited 
Huntress, what was it like? It's a really strange set of emotions. So you're building up for seven years for this event. Yeah. The event comes, you sell the business, big, big number we sold it for as well. And you get this huge amount of money um, uh, put into your bank account. And for the first, I'd say the first three months, it's thrilling. It's like, wow, you know, you keep finding out the bank and seeing what your balance is in your account. You know, that's <laughs> much money. It's just great. And you know what? Deserved. I had no, I didn't have any regrets or anything. It's like, I bloody earned this money. Yeah. Um, nearly killed me. Um, so, but the weird thing about it is once you have had it for a while and you've bought your house and bought a few things that you want it's an incredibly hollow feeling i mean you hear about these people and you know no violins or heartbreak here but once you've done it you've done it and you sort of go oh okay i've ticked that box in my life what am i going to do now you know life carries on you know it doesn't change i mean you might change your lifestyle a bit and have a nice car a nice house but i expected it to be emotionally life-changing and it wasn't so the first deal was great but a little disappointing the second deal with spencer ogden we sold spencer ogden last february to a private equity company um because i knew what to expect i wasn't disappointed it was like that's great that's fantastic it's almost like a marker of like okay i did that that's what i got for it move on you know but let's let's go yeah. back a bit. so yeah. you leave on just you meet uh was it was it peter? Peter. Yeah. Peter peter ogden. yeah yeah how, how did all that come about <laughs> it's quite a funny story we employed his son so his son was in one of our academies which is quite wow. amusing because uh peter's a billionaire yeah. um and eddie ogden uh was coming to work and he was chauffeur driven around the corner and the driver was dropping him off and somebody saw him and somebody said well you've been chauffeur driven to work and he was like no it was a taxi and we realized who he was and and, and that but he worked really hard for us he really learned about recruitment and then when we sold huntress his dad, Sir Peter, phoned me up. Uh, I've met him only a couple of times. And Eddie had said to him, Dad, I think you should speak to this guy because he's he, he, he's now going to do something again. So let's back him. And that's exactly what happened. And Sir Peter called me up. He said, do you want to do something? And we did a deal. And he helicoptered in and helicoptered out after we did the deal. And yeah, he was great. Fantastic backer. Really, 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 really good backer. Put a lot of money in. Let me run the business, and yeah, brilliant. So I had a, had a great run with Sir Peter. So that's how so I met him through some. So was he? He was a backer, not a not a founder, part founding partner. Then he wasn't like involved in the day to day. We had a joke. We were fifty fifty. That meant I worked fifty hours a week. He worked fifty hours a year. But those fifty hours a year he worked were writing out checks. Worth it. <laughs> so, what, yeah. so what was that? What did you do at the all the, the knowledge from Huntress? What was the first yeah. decisions you made at Spencer Ogden to get the wheels turning? Um, got a great office. Um, offices are important for me. They're not important for other people. I love having a really nice environment to work in. I like people coming to work and feeling good. So we we had a cracking office in Charlotte Street. Mm. The first thing I do is before I start the business, I normally employ two or three headhunters on retainers to go out and scope the market, see who the players are, see who's good, see who wants to leave, see who wants to join, you know, just get your core team in. Started Spencer Ogden with, I think, 15 people. Started Life Science people with 15 people uh, from day one. So everything comes together in a three-month period. Offices, you're setting up, you need your financial controller. You know, there's no point in trying to do it with a two or three billers, you know, you need infrastructure if you're going to do it properly. You need, you know, someone in finance, someone in operations, and you need some good 
solid management and pillars, and then you build the academy. So that that's how it's done. So what? All right. So three months you get the team together, everything set up, and then straight yeah. away you launch an academy, or do you get the fifteen out to building some, making some money? Yeah, first? more or less. Yeah, first academy, so you get you get a trainer um, and uh, internal recruiter, um, and you start to build um, quickly. As I say, we're at sixty-five now. We'll be a hundred relatively quickly. I think that'll take us about fifteen months. Funny enough, life size people is moving quicker than Spencer Ogden did in the first year, which is quite interesting. I mean, the fees in, uh, are really good at the moment. So we, we're going to finish here on a phenomenal, phenomenal first year. So, All right. So oh, there's so much for you. My head just spinning. <laughs> <laughs> so you, so you, let's just so Spencer Ogden then. How long were yeah. you there? What was the time frame until you left? Uh, seven years. Right. So two. you've done two seven-year stints, Huntress and Spencer Ogden. I think so. You get, the itch. You get an itch or something. Is there something in that? I reckon. I reckon it's a cycle. I'm, I'm a really good startup guy. I get. I get businesses flying, and I get. I build them. I wouldn't say I'm particularly good at running mature businesses. Mm. I'm just. I think there's better people to do it. I think the CEO of Spencer Ogden, Brad. I think he's brilliant. Yeah. Um, I think I'm really, really good at that. First five years of phenomenal growth. I drive the engine, you know, I have a boundless energy to do it. I think then as businesses grow, become more corporate, I mean, you're talking about, you know, 50 people in ops finance. You're talking about multi-offices, multi-currencies. You're talking about complexity of 500 people. And then you want to try and get to 1,000 people. Um, so, yeah, I, I know my skills and strengths. My strengths are, are the startup. So, what, so talk us through it then. Me, what, what's, your, what's your day like in right now in life times people? Because I bet it's similar to what it was in the early days of, of Spencer Ogden. How do you, how do you set oh, your day up? What do you do? Well, I'm a little bit older now, so I don't jump out of bed at 6 o'clock in the morning. I was 50 this year, so, yeah, I'm getting a little bit older. Um, my day, I, work, I, I don't have a laptop. I don't have a computer. I work, everything's off my iPhone. So, I don't, I don't use – I don't come into an office and sit in front of a, a, a computer. What, so I stop, normally stop, 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 stop. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> you, you do everything to run a business with 65 staff off an iPhone. Yeah. Wow. It's a big one, though. It's a big one. <laughs> Carrying it around in a briefcase. It's basically an iPad. Is it an iPad or is it an iPhone? Well, you know that I started to, to do this podcast. I didn't even know how to use the laptop. So that I'm is hilarious. Using. That is true. So, yeah. Why? Well, what's going on there? Why? I, you know, I don't think these days you 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 have to sit in front of a PC um, if you're running a business. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I get hundreds of emails a day. I read all of them or delete them. So I get. I, I don't let anything stack up. Um, I have a really good, really good PA who looks after my diary, and she knows exactly how I'm. You know. You have meetings, a lot of meetings a day, but you don't have meetings for meetings' sake. You keep meetings to 30 minutes to 45 minutes, not an hour or two hours. Yeah. You have breaks in between. You know, you ensure that you prioritize them. You know, I have monthly management meetings with everybody that we can go through in great detail. They, they take a long time, five, five hours at a time. But in between that time, I'm, you know, I could be in Charlotte Street Hotel for breakfast. I could be going and having lunch with a friend. I could be working in the evening. I don't really do, I don't really stick to office, you know, times and, I just work all the time, and but at the same time, I don't, I don't, you know, block it into it to, to a certain time. I don't know, really. I just, you know, do you think everything that comes at me? I deal with. Would that be possible for someone in your business to do that though? Because if they're presenting on screen and they're sharing, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of uh, the sort of social media culture of work from home. Mm. In, in a sales business, 
Um, I think if you're an independent biller doing well, who cares where you work from? Yeah. You have no responsibilities. You're not managing anybody. But if you're a, a, going through a training academy, I, I, we haven't made it work from home. I, I think I think it's almost impossible. Uh, if you're managing salespeople, I don't understand how you can do it from home on Zoom calls. It just it just it's just completely alien to me. So we all through the pandemic, if as long as we legally could, we had everybody in the office. We we don't have a work from home policy. You, you you have to come to the office. We gave them the option, but most people, it's a generational thing. Everybody under the age of thirty wants to go to an office because they want they want they don't want to sit in their parents' home with you know sit at the end of the bed with a laptop trying to log <laughs> on to Zoom. You know they want a life, yeah. so they all come into the office. You know there's a great atmosphere, proper sales environment. Hmm. You talk to anyone over the age of thirty five. Yeah, yeah, I want to work from home, I want to work from home. Well, funny that, because you're jaded by the travelling. You've probably got a nice house with a work from home office and a dog and a, you know, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. children. You know, so for, for, for when you're building a recruitment company quickly with lots of young talent and young managers building up, I, I don't see how you can have that flexible working. What happens um, to your senior think, people when they hit 35 then? They just don't have an option. They're just going to have to... I don't know the answer to that. I mean, in other industries, I'm sure if you're an accountant or, you know, in some industry, I mean, everyone non-sales has the opportunity to work from home here because I think you can. But if mm. you're managing salespeople through a sales process, and recruitment is you know, it's a set of processes that you have to follow, you know, pretty well. You have to do all the time. I don't know how you can manage people in sales from home. I, don't, I haven't seen it done effectively. Maybe you can, but we, we don't do it here. Yeah, yeah. And that's fine. Look, I, I, I love people who've got their own style, their own opinions, and they stand for them. And it, regardless of whether you agree with other people, who gives a shit? If it works for you, it works for you, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the world is changing. You know, there's no doubt. I mean, we've been. I've been to LA last week, um, and it's a very different culture in California. And you hmm. have to hold yourself. But when you're running a business, everybody has an opinion about how to run it. And the only way to run your own business is to run it how you want to run it. Because mm. if you listen to everybody, it's just all over the place. Yeah, You know, yeah. you have to say, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. Because I know it works. And we will change and we will mold. And we will, you know, obviously, as I say, the world is a different place. When I was growing up, I'm a Thatcher children. You know, when I was growing up, Thatcher made everyone say, right, you can be anything you want and you want to earn money. And, you know, we're in the 80s and this is this is the land of opportunity coming out of a, a socialist Labour government from the 70s. You know, that's a long time ago now, but that's how I was brought up. So I didn't care about what the coffee was like or, or you know, what the holiday policy was. I just wanted to know what the commission was. That era has changed now. You know, we get to ask some very strange questions from graduates trying to, trying to we're trying to recruit. And some of them are almost laughable as though they've been they're like a tick box from their university, you know. So, but at the same time, I think if you build a great environment, if you make people feel happy doing their job, knowing that the job's hard, this is not an easy job. You want an easy job? This is not a cushy marketing job at Facebook or Google. This is hard work. And as long as people understand that, people love discipline. I love discipline. Yeah. And if you give people the box to work with it. Freedom within a structure, right? Yeah, I think so. And in the end, you know, you create success. I love it. Not so, so when did you know you? What was the signs? I suppose that you you were on the exit plan of Spencer Ogden. How did that come about? Because 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, after seven years of Spencer Ogden, I, I kind of felt like I'd, I'd, I'd done the job I wanted to do. I'd, I'd put Brad in place as a kind of protege, really, to be CEO. And I went to Sir Peter and said, Sir Peter, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, I've done what I need to do here. Um, we'd gone through a rather bruising deal that Goldman Sachs were going to buy the business and valued at $100 million. And it was a terrific deal, but for one reason or another, we didn't complete it. And I was a bit, I was a bit jaded by that, actually, but the business is fantastic. So I went to Sir Peter and said, Sir Peter, I'm going to go and start a drinks company. I just need to go and do something a bit different. And, you know, I think this business is in terrific shape, unbelievable management team, but I'm going to move on. So he kind of was quite magnanimous about it, really. You know, he said, look, he bought half the shares. He let me go. And, you know, I went off and set up a drinks company. But then I think I realized very quickly that my 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 ability to grow recruitment companies is, is, is a skill, you know, it's good. And, you know, I felt this life science market was just, I felt it was just there to be taken. So yeah, I got back into it. I, I said, I'd never do another one, but here I am. <laughs> so when did you, we'll, we'll just briefly touch on this drinks company. Yeah. What, what's that all about? <laughs> it's a much longer story in this podcast. Uh, it's a health drink, basically, with no sugar, no plastic, no additives, which didn't exist. And I invented it and set it up and spent a lot of money um, getting it to market. What's it called? It's called Number One Botanicals. Right. Um, yeah, it's a really, really healthy, using botanicals, which are sort of nature's medicine cabinet. And Kew Gardens, the scientists at Kew helped us curate it. It's a wonderful, wonderful project fiendishly complicated drinks businesses there's a reason why there's lots of big drinks companies and hundreds of little ones that don't make it it's a yeah. it's a really tough business to get into uh, but i love it still own it still still great business but i think during that funny enough I, I i we were setting up this business pre-pandemic um spencer ogden had been sold six weeks before the pandemic um and i was setting this up and then the pandemic hit but made the decision to continue to do it during the pandemic which is quite quite a ballsy move really yeah, so what was your what was your experience of the pandemic like? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I took the I took the leases on the offices just before the pandemic and I phoned up the landlord. Because if you remember, people forget now, because it's dissipating a bit, but that first lockdown, I mean, it was like apocalyptic. Everyone was, was thinking, we're gonna run out of food buying freezers yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so when that happened, I phoned up this landlord and said, I really I'm really sorry, but I don't need these offices anymore. Yeah. And I just signed this like five year lease and put this deposit down. I said you can you can keep the deposit, but I'm not. I really don't need this office. And he was quite cool. He said, "Okay, the world's sort of gone gone to crap, but you, will you need an office?" I said, "Well, I will eventually if this pandemic finishes." So anyway, we 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 during the pandemic, I myself and my two guys that I'd hired to set up contract and firm, just interviewing people, seeing how they were, seeing what they were doing. Most of them were working from home. Some were on furlough. Some. It was a good time to go in and say, okay, you don't sound particularly happy. You don't know what's happening with your future. Would you like to come and work for a startup in life sciences backed by me? And half of them said yes, half said no. <laughs> so, but then when that, that bit between when the lockdowns finished and you could kind of go back into the office, yeah. we, like, we hit it August, hard then. We, we, September, we like, yeah. yeah, yeah. We, you know, we built a really cool office with screens and temperature checking and we do testing every three you know every other day you know, we, there's a lot of things that have changed um you know mask wearing two meter distances is fairly complicated to do but we did it we got everyone in everyone wanted to come into work those who didn't didn't have to but we sort of you know said that this is what we're going to do and it proved very successful looking back funny enough i didn't realize it was going to be so busy in recruitment 
I would have hired more people yeah. because I think right now it's really, you know. How many did you? How many did you hire in that period? Uh, about thirty, I think. Forty people, thirty-five, forty people. So yeah. since then we set up. So we've done four academies. Um, so sixty-five how now. Much, how much academy. cash did you have to spend before you got you made your first invoice? Oh, half a million, I think. Right. I put in one. I put, I put in one point two five million, probably at the end of. Probably put two million in, two and a half, maybe. Yeah. But don't forget, you know, this isn't, a, a, you know, this isn't sort of four people who are good billers who put fifty thousand in, and can, all money does is it just makes it quicker. Yeah. I mean, you you could set up a recruitment company with ten thousand pounds. Of course, yeah. it just take, it would just take you ten or twenty years to get to five hundred people. Yeah. Unless you have investment, but if you have money, you just you just compact it. <laughs> so you know, you just you just. You hire a, a finance department, an ops department. You know, you, you get all of the things in place, senior management, all on guarantees coming over to join you. The key thing about it is, though, you give people shares. And I'm a massive believer in shareholders in businesses. Because the problem with the culture today that's been created with social media is that everybody blames everybody else. It's like, oh, the company hasn't done this or the government hasn't done this. I grow up in the 80s. You are responsible for what you do and how you create culture and how you create your own life. You never blame anybody else for it. So if you're a shareholder, you, you can turn around and people say, there is no them and us. The company is you and you are the people. We are the people that are going to create the culture and drive this business forward. Um, I don't know how to build businesses without having shareholders involved. So, it must be very <coughs> so how, do you, how do you set that up? Is it a percentage you give away and put a pool in place for leadership? Absolutely. So, yeah, decide at the beginning how much of your business you want to give away on the basis that you are putting in most of the money, if not all of the money, and you are giving away these shares free. Nobody's paying for them. So yeah. you, you set up a pool. You do it under EMI. Yeah. Uh, phenomenal scheme the government gives you to, to allow you to give share options over, over your options in business with tax incentives. And you give them out. You give them out over a two or three-year period. You say, right, you can join. You have this many shares this year, that many, and you do it over a three or four-year period. It's a retention it makes people feel valued and they pay out, you know, so Spencer Ogden, we paid out millions in share options. Yeah. So yeah, they work and they make people feel like they are business. It's the bit between working for a corporate and having no shares or some shares that aren't worth a lot, starting your own business. It's kind of that step between starting your own business. A lot of people go into businesses, startups, share options, but well-funded, which is rare. They don't come along, don't come along very often. The next bit for them is, okay, I've learned how to run a business in a startup. I, can, I think I can go and run my own recruitment company. And good yeah. luck. To, I think it's great people go and run their own recruitment companies. Um, so, that, so we are that bit that people get a bit entrepreneurial. They, they're shareholders, but they're not committing enormous amounts of their own <laughs> capital and risk. What's the biggest challenge or risk to – so I know the guys over at you know Storm, the Levin Group, the Storm 2, 3, 4, and 5 guys. I'm sure you, you're familiar with, with James Brown well, and what, what they're well, it's doing. Back, it's backed by Eddie Ogden. So I know, yeah. And, you know, the pace they've gone at is incredible. Like they're, they're, I think they're 300 or so now, and it's, just, it's yeah. just insane. I've got James coming back on the show soon, which I can't wait for. Um, yeah. But – you know, I imagine there's a huge amount of chaos in that speed of growth. And when you've got, when you're taking grads, smart grads, but grads at the pace you're bringing them in, yeah. what's the biggest, I guess, risk to the brand that you're not just burning people in the industry of, you know? They, they will burn people. You know, the, <laughs> the, the, the attrition rate will be high. Um, 
you're sort of colliding a hundred people every six months into that business. Mm. Um, but again, it's capital. You know, they put in an enormous amount of money, and all that does it just it just shortens the gap. So you go naught to three hundred people quicker if you've got you know five million quid. What about reputation though in the industry when you've got a lot of grads running around? I don't. Really I, know don't I mean, who who knows? I mean, I I, I know Eddie well. I know what he's doing. I sort of joke. Well, if it works, I'll do it. Uh, I don't know. Is he? I think they're. I think they're experimenting with something that's never been done before. Mm. Um, Spencer Ogden was probably the fastest growing recruitment company in the country at the time. Yeah, I mean, and I'm and I'm thinking more about your own and Spencer Ogden than those guys because yeah, I, I don't. I, I probably but what, wouldn't, in terms I, of your I own business, that fast. in in terms that. of your own business, still sixty five in a year. Do you yeah, worry you gotta, about? You gotta, do you ever worry yeah, about yeah, reputation yeah. management and stuff like that? Of course, you know you have to bring in people. You have to go through a three-month training program with them. And you have to hope that they enjoy it and like it and, and, and get billing and get going. But some of them don't. So culture gets eroded the more people you hire. You can have a fantastic culture in a 20-person business. Yeah, yeah. You can have a great culture in a 50-person business. Try to create a great culture in a two to 300-person business very quickly that's not been built over 10 years. That's tough. And time will tell whether that project will work. Have they got a good reputation? Not particularly, but it's early. So they've got the numbers. Hmm. You know, they've got the amount of people coming through the door. Will they stick? I have no idea. I think it's, I think it'd be fascinating to watch that project because it's the first time anybody's done it at that scale. Yeah, and if it works, cool. brilliant. If it doesn't, yeah. you know, it's it's risk. It's incredible to see. Um, in terms of your own vision, then where does yeah. Where do you see life science people? Is it going to be seven years and you're out again, or what's the plan? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it is actually. I mean, mm. you know, we did, we got to 100 million at Huntress in seven years. I think we did it in five at Spencer Ogden. Maybe I'm getting quicker. Um, I, I like life sciences because it's counter cyclical. Life sciences is a bit like, so I was in tech, 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 boom and bust, boom, bust, boom, bust, finance, boom, bust, boom, oil and gas, my God, like boom, bust, boom, bust. Yeah. Life sciences is, is incremental growth. It doesn't go boom, bust. It grows with population. The higher the population of the world, the more people need drugs, the more people are employed in life sciences. So for me, it's much more of a steady sort of growth. We're not riding an oil price wave. We're not riding a tech wave. Um, fintech, you know, all these bubbles that emerge that you can make a lot of money out of, but they crash. I want to grow this business properly with good infrastructure, and build it quickly, but not too quickly. I want a great culture, but I want to conquer life sciences. <laughs> life sciences is such a brilliant business. And there's a lot of, as I say, add-ons. There's a lot of companies that have been around a long time, and they're dealing with all the you know big pharmaceutical companies. And there's a lot of little sort of mum-and-pup shops, I call them. But there's nobody going and saying, we only do life sciences. This is all we do, and we're going to be the best at it. So for me, it's not how many people can we hire, how quickly, how much money can we spend, or how much money can we make. Is how good are we in life sciences? How big are we in that market? And are we the leaders? And if we get to that in five, seven years, I'll be very happy. What will indi- what for you will be an indication you're a leader? Uh, I think you need to be, to make a dent in any market, you've got to be doing 30 to 50 million a year in net fee income. Because that is, that's that's a player in a market. Hmm. Um. 100 million in net fee income in a market, you're probably the top. So that's just kind of scale. But if you're, you know, we finished a first year on 5 million in fees. I mean, we're, just, we're tiny. 
tiny in life sciences. But we will grow quickly. And I think once we get to that stage, when you're dealing with Glaxo, AstraZeneca, all the big pharmaceutical companies, you're dealing with all the suppliers, you're dealing with all of the biotech startups, you're dealing with all of the AI that's coming into to, to, to the medical profession, you can say you're up there. And I, don't, I, mean, I, I, can't, I can't see that company exist right now. Do you have any like external responsibility in the business? Do you go and meet customers? Are you interested in any of that? Or is it all behind the scenes? Um, much less than I was at Spencer Ogden. Um, but they do wheel me out to dinners and stuff with the, with the head of biotechs and stuff like that. This is the SPE's founder and the financer. But I don't know anything about life sciences. So it's almost a bit... I mean, I, I employ people who know a lot about life sciences, but I don't. I know a lot about recruitment. I know a lot about life sciences. Yeah. So yeah, now and again, I do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it's not. It's not my day. It's not part of my day. My day is very much building a recruitment company. Exactly. So, tell us about you outside of work. Um, sure. The, the story of your, you know, life. I suppose your working life. We've talked about about a fifteen-year journey or so. Um, yeah. What's been going on in that time outside of work while you're building at that pace? How what, what's life? I imagine you mentioned about living, you know, <clears throat> living a really good lifestyle. What what's it look like yep. for you? Um, I've had I've been very fortunate. I've always had a house in the countryside, so I've always lived in central London right. during the week and uh, weekends. I go to the country. Where, where I don't, I don't uh, Gloucestershire. So right. I've, I've got a place. I've always, I've had a, I've had tiny little cottages at the beginning. They kind of got bigger and bigger. Um, I've got a place, and it's literally in the middle of nowhere. I, there's no, there's no, nobody around me. No, no, nothing around me. And I don't work on the weekends. Yeah. Um, so Saturdays and Sundays are always very, 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 very quiet for me, and very outside of that sphere of madness. And it's really interesting because the journey to the countryside is quite cathartic because as you leave London. You kind of strip away the metropolis and the craziness, and you, eventually you get to this sort of wilderness. And it's great because it slows you down. And then on the way back on a Sunday night, it's like you're building up to the city, and it's all in front of you. And you come in, and you're like, right, back to work. Um, so that was probably in the in the Spencer Ogden days. More recently, I bought a farm in Ibiza, um, and I started farming. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually I find incredibly um, relaxing. Um, I've you know, planted 150 fruit trees. I, you know, got a tractor, I've got a solar power plant, I've got my own water. And it's just, a, it, again, I don't know what it is, but I find these incredibly remote places. And I'm in the middle of nowhere. Uh, the only people around me are local uh, beef and farmers. And that's my, my kind of like escape, really. And I think without those, I don't, I don't think I could have done what, I, what I've done. Wow. Um, and did did you mention in when you were twenty six? You were when you were, when you went back to the apartment and you were, were you married when you said you, your salary had changed? Was that back at? I was 20- engaged. I was engaged actually. I'm right. married now. Yeah, yeah. And is yeah. it is it still the same relationship for you now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she was pretty bemused when I said I was going to start up another recruitment company. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, you can your, imagine. You can imagine. She's like, not what's your secret to success through that period then in, in a relationship? Because this is something I'm fascinated. I've, I've been very open that, I mean, I got divorced in the last year. I got married in yep. 2019. I, had a, you know, I was only actually technically living with her for a year and then it you know, didn't work out. Um, and I would, the funny thing is I would always say that I was very conscious that I didn't want being an entrepreneur to affect it. It actually was nothing to do with that, that why we didn't, why we didn't stay together but yeah. i know a lot of relationships do break down yeah. when when one person yeah. is so business driven and perhaps your yeah. partner isn't so how, how have you managed that uh well you have to have absolute 100 support from that partner um and it actually 
that partner sort of does take second to what you're doing. I mean, my wife's incredibly successful in her own right. She right. doesn't feel the need to be successful now. But if you are vying for that success in a partnership, something's got to give, I think. You know, it's very, very, very time-consuming building a business successfully. And it's a complete and utter focus. Um, so unless your partner backs that and understands that and goes with you on the journey, I, I, don't, know how, I don't know how you can do it. Um, to be honest. I mean, there's a great scene in Entourage. I don't know if you watch Entourage. Yeah, it's my favourite ever show. So there's this scene where Ari Gold's sitting there with his wife and they're in therapy. I know. And, and, his, he, and, his, and his phone the, goes. The bat yeah. phone on a Wednesday. She looks at him and says, you're not going to answer the phone. And he's like, honey, it's the bat phone. You know, and she <laughs> said, w- you can't answer it. And he just loses it. And he goes, if you want a house in the valley, yeah. <laughs> I'll answer my phone at 12 o'clock on a Wednesday. I won't answer my phone at 12 o'clock. <laughs> if you want to live in Beverly Hills in a $20 million mansion, yeah. I answer the phone. Yeah. I mean, that's an extreme, but it's the sort of thing, you know, it, if you're successful in it, the rewards are great. Then you can find the time together. It's the, the, if they're not with you on the journey, they don't want that success and they want, don't want the, reap the rewards of that success. Very, very difficult. Yeah. Have you have you got kids as well? No, we don't have children. No. Right. No. Do you think that has conscious, helped? Conscious I, oh, I would imagine they're pretty time consuming. <laughs> but 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 again, you know, I, I I've taken risks in my life and in business because I don't have children. Yeah. I mean, I think I I think you become more risk adverse when you have children because you have responsibilities yeah. and obligations. Equally, because you have responsibilities and obligations, it must spur you on to be more successful and and want a better life for them. So you well, know, speaking, I spoke this week, right? So my coach who's coming on the show next week. Yeah, Coach Aria, Dr. Aria Dinesh. He's coming on next week. He's he works with Orlando Bloom, he works with A-listers, he works with me, which I'm not an A-lister, but a uh, <laughs> fucking hell. Um he's amazing, right? And he, he hasn't got kids either, but we've got a similar story in terms of our marriage breakdowns, and that's how we we, we came together. And he talked to me about he said from his interviews with people that have got kids, typically happiness declines when you have children yeah. <laughs> no, everyone this, tells you it doesn't okay yeah but happiness <laughs> declines but meaning sense right. purpose and meaning like erupts and, and goes to a new level so it's yeah, yeah. you know it's that kind of short versus longer term play isn't it do you want to have yeah. that long-term meaning or do you prefer the the short-term happiness and pleasure i don't know i haven't got my own children um it's something that you know i'm not sure um I've always said I want them and I think I do want them, but there's times when you have conversations and you think, you know what, maybe it'd be easier without, I don't, I don't know. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the two guys I've got running this business both have very small children and I see the look in their faces sometimes when they've been up all night. I mean, they're tired, you know, yeah. they're working incredibly hard here yeah. as well. And I think it does create friction with their partners because, you know, sometimes it's just not there to see the kids, yeah. the bed and stuff, you know? Um, so yeah, I, 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 kind of consciously stayed away from that um environment has it has it made me it's definitely made me more 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 risk averse because i take risks because i wouldn't take if i had a family um and i would imagine it makes me work a different way than if you have children children need discipline regimented times you know and that that just isn't part of my life as a result of not having children well my friends have got children you know say so, oh you know you don't make a great father you know it's like yeah Maybe, yeah, probably. I would. I'm sure it. I'm sure it satisfies something deep inside you and and makes you, you know, feel something. But uh, I, I've never, I've, I've really, I've never really thought about it. To be honest with you. 
Well, that's it. If, if you can focus on what you focus on, you're happy. That's great. Yeah. What, yeah. So what? What about your your health, right? So you've got your your, your business routine. You, you know, I love yeah. you, you're sat. You're on your phone. You're not sat at a desktop. <laughs> you, you, you're fluid. You, you're you're super busy. You're out in Ibiza. You're back in the UK. You. It's as if you've there's a balance, there's a yin and a yang to your life. Yeah. How how do you keep yourself mentally in shape as well as physically in shape? Uh, physically shape, I'm not. I'm not very good at physically shape. I've never really found that sort of bug to go to the gym. I try no. so hard. Um, I probably drink too much. I probably eat a little bit bad food. But at the same time, I'm, I'm happy and unhealthy. So you know, I think there's, as you say, that they, they, they should be put together. I think you can be incredibly physically fit and unhappy and stressed and still die. Um, cool. I think generally physically, I could do more, and I do try. But at the same time, you know, I'm pretty active. I'm always moving. I'm never, I don't sit still. I'm quite a, a physically active person. My mental health, um, yeah, it's interesting as you get older, you know, you definitely go through these stages in your life. You definitely hit a wall at 50 of some, some kind of midlife crisis uh, where you sort of tr think about your purpose in life and what, you, you know, because you end up thinking, why am I doing this for everybody else when I should be thinking about myself a little bit more? It must be a natural thing that happens to you. I didn't get it in my 30s, didn't get it in my 40s. And I think with that, you know, you just have to, everyone's so hard on themselves. Like, I have to do this, I have to do that. You know, you kind of got to go through life thinking, what makes you happy? Okay, I've got a group of friends. I've got four four really good friends I've had for 25 years. When you're younger, you have 30, 40, 50 peripheral friends. As you yeah. get older, they narrow down. Of course. And I'm very, very happy. We still go off to Ibiza for weekends and think we're 21 years old, which is a huge outlet of a sort of, you know, this kind of like trying to be Benjamin Button. Um I think it's healthy, you know, and what is healthy is having a good group of friends that you enjoy the time with. What isn't healthy is hanging out with people who depress you, get you down, neg you out. You know, you've got to get rid of people like that around you. And I think the more, the older you get, the more selfish you get with your time. And I think that's really good for your mental health. Because if you're at my age or even 10 years younger than me, spinning around with people you shouldn't be because you think you have to, I think that's bad for your mental health. And physically, of course, just got to try and eat well, not overdo it. It's, everything's in moderation, isn't it? Finding that balance is very, very important um, to be able to run a business. Do you think? <clears throat> well, when you say this fifty, this fifty-year-old like purpose uh, yeah, yeah. thing playing on your mind, like what what have you done about it? Like, what are you doing to address it? How are you coping with it? I don't think there's anything you can do about it. I mean, it just is life. You know, everyone gets older. Getting older sucks. You know, things start happening. It's just not as, as physically strong and fit and mentally agile as you were, but you know a lot more. So you, what you're upsetting with the speed of your, you know, and the strength of your of your physicality and the speed of your thought processes, you make up with <laughs> you've got an enormous amount of experience. Mm. But you, you, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, at the end of the day, you get older, you know, and and no one wants to, and everyone tries to defy age. You just got to run with it, really. You know, it is what it is, and I don't think you can prepare yourself for it. I don't think you can do anything about it. I don't think you should take it too seriously. You know, I mean, that's why this group of friends that I have, we're all getting older together. We'll joke about it. You yeah. know, you, this stuff that you do when you get older that you just didn't do when you get uh, when you're younger. And if, as long as you're in a group of people and not trying to defy age, I think I think it's okay. <laughs> but it's it, it does hit you. Uh, yeah. you know 
36 hit me because, like, Jesus Christ, my next birthday's 40. I'm going to be properly my old. Next, my yeah. next birthday, 36. Yeah, and then, you know, you get to 40. You're like, oh, I thought it was okay. I was in my prime in my 40. Then you get to 46 and 47. It's like, oh, my God, I'm only 50. 50 is, like, properly old. 50 is, like, saga holiday old. But in your in your mind and your heart, you're still 25. Yeah, yeah. It's the strangest thing getting old. But, you know, it just, it, you know, it is what it is. You've got to take the blows. <laughs> got to okay. keep active, though. Yeah, I mean, you sell a business. You know, if I if I went off to Ibiza, I'd you know become an alcoholic in three months. Nothing else to do and drink rosé wine. It's outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, you have to have a purpose. You've got to be active. That's why when people retire, that, that, they don't. You go back to that bit about selling a business that again is, yeah. is the kind of utopia for most recruitment owners right now. And, yeah, and yeah. Owners yeah. around the world, you know, <laughs> there is that reality check that. I mean, I said to you before, Mark Zanowski a few weeks ago from Staff Group said it was one of the darkest years of his life afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, you, what would you say about that to people? You know, you, you well, could. You have to go through it. You know, yeah. you can't say, oh, you don't want to sell your business. Don't it's do really it. Depressing <laughs> after. Yeah, you got to go through it. You know, it, it is what it is. It's it's a marker in your life. It's a it's a tick box that needs yeah. to be done. It doesn't solve all your problems or make you feel fantastic about yourself, but it will give you something you said i did it you know and i went through it and it you know selling a business isn't easy you know you've got to go through hell to sell a business when you've done it it's great it's not quite as gratifying or satisfying as it was and it's never quite as much money as you thought it would be i mean and the problem with money is there's always someone with a bigger boat than you you know you can't you sort of have to position yourself to say okay i made some money i'm not going to be jeff bezos or elon musk but equally, I'm not going to be, you know, worrying about money. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a calibration of your life when it happens. Um, some people say, right, that's not enough. I want to do it again. Um, but there's someone to be bigger and one of you more. That's kind of how I felt, which is why Humphreys to Spencer Ogden. Is there a period of time, though, that you probably would say that you can you can just enjoy not like maybe three months where you're not working, enjoying <laughs> the three months. Yeah. Month. And then after also, that, also after me, you you get a bit of an itch then you're like oh well, i can't keep just doing nothing for it forever i think it's very easy to slip into darkness after that period because you felt like you've achieved something that you always wanted to achieve and then you've achieved it and then you say what now you have to then it depends how much, it depends how much money you get if you get so much money that is literally i don't or ever want to work again i mean it's cool fuck off money in the business where yeah. somebody says you don't have to take the call from the bank anymore you don't have to take a call from anybody anymore you can just say no to everybody and do what you want that's sort of speed or older money um but ultimately it, i say to you everyone is fixated with selling their businesses i want to build a great business. i want to make millions of pounds great well then you're, what, you're 35 45 50 you've got, you got to live to the 80 or 90 yeah. what are you going to do every day and that's the problem is, if you sell your business, great, move on, do something else. <laughs> because you cannot sit around. You, it's, it's soul destroying to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, Mark, just, it's a marker. It's like, right, I'm going to do it. That's it. Seven years, tick. Yeah, because Mark said anyone who, like, when he was off, it was like anyone who wanted a boozy lunch knew that he wouldn't be working. They'd give him a message and he'd be like, all right, yeah. And then <laughs> before he knew it, it was like Tuesdays, he was pissed by four o'clock. He's like, this is not, they can't, yeah. can't sustain this. Well, after hundreds, I went around America for three months. So I went on a huge road trip all around America. Mm. And I got to the last bit of it. I still had two weeks left of this trip. And I was so bored. I had to go back to work. 
I mean, I was sitting in paradise, lots of money in the bank, feeling great about it. But that's when I set up Spencer Ogden. Was, was li I literally came back from that road trip straight into that project because I was, I was too young then to, 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 to retire. I was 36 years old. So, um, you know, that, that I had to do. But this time it was a case of, hmm, do I go and farm in Ibiza or do I go and set up another recruitment company? Hmm. I'm not 70, I'm 50, and I've got an awful lot of knowledge. <laughs> so, yeah, I think you have to be very careful what you wish for. Wow. Right, we're going to finish this show with one, a couple of questions. So, yep. first question is, like, where do you – what inspires you? Like, what do you read, listen to? Where do you get your news? Like, what where do you, what, what inspires you to – I, I read newspapers every day, actually. I always have. Um I don't think much inspires me in news at the moment. In fact, I wanted to uh, start a newspaper that only had good news because it's so depressing, some of the news. Yeah. Uh, what inspires me? Technology used to inspire me. Um, not so much now. I'm slightly terrified of AI, if I'm, if I'm honest with you, in the hands of those crazy tech guys. Um, I guess space exploration is probably the only thing that inspires me these days is, you know, how can we, how can we, if we can't save the planet, we've got to get off it. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens with space tourism. That quite, that's quite inspiring. quite like that. Right. Um, save the planet, we've got to get off it. I like that. All right. <laughs> what, what What's the biggest mistake you've made in your career? If you look back, like if you can just pinpoint one thing that you fucked up, what would it be? I actually wish I'd have stayed at Spencer Ogden a bit longer for the sale process. It, I did a lot of hard work in seven years. And it was sort of the last three years where the big money was made. <laughs> Um, and I, ki I kind of regret not staying for that because I, I sold half of my shares to Sir Peter. And had I kept going on until that sale price, which was only two or three years, which is nothing in the grand scheme of things, I would have had significantly more um, reward for it. Um, it's probably, I wouldn't say it's, a, it's just a bit annoying. <laughs> <laughs> you don't look particularly disappointed with life, so I'm not going to yeah, take I'm the happy kid. I wake up happy every day. I get um, that vibe. I get that vibe. All right. Final question. You've got yeah. um, a 30-year-old brand new recruitment owner, ex-top biller, starting with his best mate. They come and see yep. you and they and they're like, give us one piece of advice. Just one one nugget that you think if they hold on to it, they'll be successful. Uh don't be distracted. Just focus. Don't listen to anybody. Do do just build your business. Build your business. Keep all the distractions away from you and just focus on that path. If it's 50 people, 100 people, 200 people, if it's a number you want, everyone's got a number. How much money do you want to make when you sell it? 10 million, 20 million, 30, 50, whatever it is. And just do not deviate from that path. That's my advice. I like it. I like it. Tunnel vision. Tunnel vision. Completely. Um, yeah. Well, DSP, what what a what a great <laughs> hour! What an hour we've had! I've looked every well, minute. Well, that went quick. <laughs> I could have, exactly, I could have carried on all day. I think. Yeah, uh, you know, I learn as much as I as much as anyone on these shows. I I enjoy every week. If I if, if I could do anything all day, it'd be this bit part of my business. <laughs> That's cool. Just, I actually, really enjoyed it. I actually love it. Um, cool. we'll definitely get you back on. I think we've got to have a round two with you. We've got to we've got to find out how life science people gets on. Perhaps yeah. in sort of early to mid next year, let's get you back on the show. Um, if anyone does want to want to check in with you, uh, what's yep. the best way to get hold of you? Um, I get I get an awful lot of LinkedIn noise, so I can't. Um, just yeah, email me. Just DSP what? at lifesciencepeople.co.uk. DSP at lifesciencepeople.co.uk. And he does. He said he reads every email. He might not respond. He I might do. bin it. He might oh, bin it. <laughs> certainly don't respond to them all, but I definitely read them. <laughs> <laughs> you need a you need a catchy tagline for this man, right? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, look. 
thank you so much, DSP. It's been a pleasure. Um, I'm right. sure the, the listeners have enjoyed every single minute of it. Um, so. And I'll be, um, I'll be back again with uh, another episode next Wednesday. Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now, both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level individual recruiters in your businesses how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn and would love to talk to you. Tune in again next week. That's live on LinkedIn at 12 p.m. on Thursday, or you can catch the show on the following Monday from 6 a.m. on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'll see you soon.